Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. get going so we could do this. All right, everybody who's on here live so far, welcome, welcome. Uh, Tom Miller here, and we are in session two of our no-fail communication. And so, uh, so this book, this book is, is um, it's hurting me on the inside, everybody. That is for darn sure. But I, I know that I'm growing on the outside. So that's, that's really all that matters. And that's really what that hurt is, right? So if you have felt a level of um, uncomfortness, it's probably because you're growing. Because growing is uncomfortable, and that's why a lot of people choose not to do it, right? They choose just to kind of stay their status quo and continue to you know, communicate and lead in the same way over and over, but expect somehow different results and not realize that they were the biggest issue uh, with their leadership success. So if you're a part of our Facebook group, I've been doing a 21-day um, uh, a daily leadership lesson every day for the 21 laws of leadership. And that's what I was just talking about today. Leadership's not a title. It's not a position. And we all have a lid on our leadership, right? There's a capacity to it for sure. So I wrote myself this note in preparation for this session. To be, a great, to be great at communication, you need to forget yourself. To be great at communication, you need to forget yourself, right? To be a great communicator, you need to forget yourself. What, when I say that, like, what does that make you think about it? To be a great, to be a great communicator, you need to forget yourself. What, what might that stem from, everybody? What do you think? Anybody have any thoughts here on that? Maybe it means. As we wait for folks to come. I, I think. Go ahead, Vanessa. Um, uh, it's Stephanie. I think that maybe it means you need to not um, be so like self-conscious and worry about yourself mm. in the conversation, but more so what you're trying to get across to the other person. Sometimes we censor ourselves because we don't want to hurt feelings or things like that. Well said, Stephanie. I love it. I really like that. I mean, to be a great communicator, you need to forget yourself, right? So not, not be worried about, you know, how I'm looking to other people, right? Note to self, that's what I was saying at the beginning if you're on here, right? I'm watching myself. I'm more worried about me than I am whether or not, you know, this, you know, training or this time together is, is on your agenda, right? It needs to be about you and how, you know, you need to learn. I think as leaders, many times we, we only focus on what we need to say rather than focus our message on what we know our people need to hear. Does that make sense? Anybody have a different thought on that one? 
Go ahead, Vanessa Baker. Are you able? You can you can unmute yourself and go. This is a great thought. So I was thinking about the story that he tells in the book where he's trying to get that executive level coaching and his boss, I believe it was his boss, thinks like, oh, you know, you don't need it. Um, and he said he was more focused on the benefit for him and not necessarily the benefit for the company itself. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right, you know. And so that piece of leadership right if you've if you've read like john maxwell's five levels of leadership uh he talks about the lowest level of leadership is positional leadership and this is a leadership area that i was in for a good part of my life i thought by having a badge right by having a title by getting letters next to my name the benefit was all about me it was about creating my own career ladder I never thought about other people, but nothing ever worthwhile is achieved alone, right? Nothing, nothing can be done alone. So um, that was just some instant thoughts, you know, as I woke up this morning to really be thinking about, well, what is it that you all need, right? So why, why are you here? <laughs> so I would love to make sure, put, put it in the chat box or unmute yourself. Like, What's, what's something you want to make sure? Because I don't want to sit here and talk for an hour. You know, um, I want to hear you all, you know, very, very smart, intelligent people who've had great successes and failures, which is fine. And you should be communicating how you failed just as much or maybe more often than how much you've been successful. And you have to be okay with that. Um, if you really want to build authentic connecting relationships with others. so. Yeah, Vanessa wrote, uh, grow my crucial conversation skills and getting comfortable with Discord. Yeah, there you go. Vanessa participated in part of her inner circle training where they were really, really talking about that, about how, how do you make, how do you get comfortable with being uncomfortable? But we all just want success, right? We all want to feel successful. So how do we do that? So what about you? We've got Cheryl and Dr. Benton's out there. He's a great leader too. He's got great experience. Georgia, Janice, Lindsay, Stephanie, the other Vanessa. Yeah, cool. Practice clarity and transparency in communication. So, so how many of you took your, how many of you have a place where your clarity grid is? Did anybody take your clarity grid and like put it on your wall? Anybody pay attention to other people's communication this week about clarity? What was no communication? What was garbled? What was implied and what was clear? Anybody take the time to do that? Anybody have a story from this week, an aha moment story? Janice looks like she wants to share something. Go ahead, Janice. So actually I have a, a positive aha story. Um, Vanessa Baker sent an email today that asked for um, three specific things for a PD. She wanted the title, she wanted a description, and she wanted a Zoom link. Then when it said description, it said 50 words or less. And I was like, oh, thank you. Because then I don't spend two hours trying to make something amazing and <laughs> overthink it, which I have a tendency to do. I know that's two sentences, I can bang that out, and then I can resume my day. And it's that clarity of communication and understanding of what she wanted at the beginning that saved me time later, you know? So that's a positive yeah. aha moment. 
I love it. I love when, I mean, aha moments are always kind of positive, right? Because that's learning, right? It's, that's, right. What, that's what we want. So Absolutely. what would be the strategy that she, what would be the strategy that she used, uh, Janice? Do you think that we either learned in session one or this last, you know, sections of the book? What was she using? Um, well, I mean, to me, that's clarity. Right. She knew what the end product needed to be. Right, right. And I have to look at the. Uh, let me look and at I love what it. you said. You said, you said, oh, thank you for being so clear. So that means to me, did this email only go to you or did it go to a lot of people? Um, it went to several people. Okay. So it, it, I don't think it was to 100, but it was. But you know what? One of the other things that, that I appreciate that she frequently does is BCCs. Um, and that stops with a garbled communication because sometimes what will happen is people reply to all and then the next thing you know, you've had, there's 50 <laughs> messages in your inbox and you're so tired of looking at that subject, you don't even read what it was immediately because you're frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, so to answer your question, I don't know how many people it went to specifically. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it spoke directly to you. And that's why I was wondering, did right. she say, I know Janice is a communication style. I'm going to hit this or right. Or was she just kind of say, all right, if I just get these three bullets, that'll be good. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So, so from the, the grid, what, that was clear results. communication. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I love it. Who else had a, who else had a, um, an aha moment that were like, oh, that was much better, or God, oh, that was awful communication. My son, he's uh, he's eight, and I don't know what he's saying sometimes, but he's 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 imitating somebody that he's learning on YouTube, and he's I don't know, I'm not even sure. But yesterday, he went on a rant, and I looked at my wife, and I go, that is garbled communication. He knows what he's saying, but we have no idea what he's trying to get to. <laughs> but I was using that framework, right? And so as you start to use this clarity grid with your team, you, you could specifically say to them, hey, that was kind of garbled, right? Or that was implied a little bit. Here's how it could have been clear. But if you are all on the same page, because you know we got multiple members of the Soccer Team Academy team in here, and you guys can bring this, you know, the other schools too. Like you, if you all use the same grid to study, you could say, hey, how well did I do with that communication? Would you give me a one, a two, or three, or a four? And then that's the only way we'll be able to improve it is if someone, if we're willing to say to somebody, hey, where would you rank that? You know, what were, what were some of the pieces of clear communication was I missing? Good. Great job, Vanessa and Janice. Thanks for sharing. Anybody else have an example? How about in emails? I got an email today and it said, um, I think that, I don't know if this is a new thing or what, you guys have to help me with this. The email header said um, something like uh, students, you know, a students on basketball team. And then in the, in the, the body of the email, dismiss 145. And then there was two, um, like attachments. And so I wrote back to the person. I said, you know, um, I, I'm implying that you are telling the teachers who's on the basketball teams and what time they need to be like there today. 
I said, but however, the way you wrote it was like, I was trying to figure out how do you say it in a nice way, like a fifth grade level. I mean, this person is, you know, an athletic director, right? An administrator. And so I think, you know, one of the things that we have to do, and I have to, you know, have a meeting with that person face to face, because it gets to a point where like, you know, people just don't know or they don't realize the impact of their garbled or implied communication. It, you know, certainly makes them look unprofessional at times, right? Uh, or just not knowing, or like you don't have the time to say hello. You don't have the time to write out three sentences, you know, for me, but yet you want me to make sure that my kids, the kids in the basketball team are there and ready at 145, right? So that, you know, again, like your communication is everywhere. And it has massive impact, whatever you send. So do you all ever get any of those emails that have like sometimes no like body text? There's just like a forwarded email or I don't know. Do you ever get anything like that? How about you, Georgia? Do you ever get an email that's like has like zero text in it? You're on mute. She gets them from me all the time. Oh, yeah. So how does it make you feel, Georgia? Not to put you on the spot. I was just going to say you, Janice. <laughs> it just has a title in the uh, in the message box, and that's it. And I all know day long. <laughs> but it, and in, then, in my then, defense, it's for people that want um, power school resets, and I'll have ten of them, and so I just forward them all to her because she's the one that's supposed to do them. But we have a thing going on. We have a mental. Yeah, we do. Uh, we know how to read each other's That's a great point, right? So as a team and for everybody else on here, right? If you're on the same team and, you know, people know, like we have a code on our you know, team. Like if I email you a one, it's urgent, like read it immediately. If I email you with a two next to it, it's like, you know, in the next, you know, three days, like you can code with people. And as long as everybody knows and it's on the same page, right? But here's what I would be wary of if people aren't responding to your emails or not you know following through something's awry for sure um so that well that's interesting that you guys do it i had no idea you know georgia that she actually did that so i wasn't trying to set anybody up i just thought it was really really funny when i got this email i mean i definitely i, just, I, def I definitely wouldn't do it outside our little team i mean i don't like to have, i don't like to have those emails on the bottom of mine as my thread right what what if what if somebody comes comes to your team new? Do you do you take them through the orientation of the no the nobody email? No, I don't. We don't. No, not we wouldn't do that. So they just have to figure it out on their own, right? So, <laughs> no, we'll. I mean, we'll I we love have it. to be there for a while before we do that. Yeah, uh, Vanessa Baker is asking about um, Slack. So Slack is a great tool. I don't, I don't know if anybody on this call uses it. Um, we actually use it in the inner circle, Vanessa, but clearly I have not uh, communicated that well. It is a, is a um, imagine uh, like a bunch of, of, you know, threads of, you know, text threads that you can either use through the computer or through an app on your phone where you're actually like sending, you know, messages and resources to each other and each thread could have its own, you know, project, right? So think about a little bit more organized Google, like a Google chat. Uh, but it's more of a, um, it's, it has a lot more structure and a lot more capability uh, to it. And I know like a lot of working teams remotely use it, you know, constantly to message 
each other um, and then it saves everything um, in that thread. So like when, you know, Google meets, right? Or, you know, Google chat, it's just like a, a long, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Slack can be organized uh, almost in like a, um, like a notes type type thing. So not sure if anybody else on the call uses Slack. Yeah, so whatever you all use for a communication, those are, you know, a lot of those are great tools, right? Because um, when we're talking about the unclear communication notes, and and to really practicing what what your vision is i mean that's that's what i heard was was that you know vanessa was able to unleash her vision on what she needed from from her uh, team and this is really important to paint a word picture of your desired results of something that you're trying to achieve right long or short term it doesn't matter personal or professional and and use that what why results method in your word picture so, for example, um, I want uh, at the at the school that I'm in, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm exceptional children's director at. I want all the general ed teachers to have electronic and paper access to the exceptional children's IEPs and their um, accommodation reports. Okay, that's what I want them to have physically, and I want them to know how to get to it, and I want them to know like what it means, and you know, per class. And so I also want all of my EC teachers to meet with them to show them how to gain access and how to and what these accommodations mean and give them examples of what that may look like specifically in their classroom because they're because they're co-teaching. Uh, and I want this done by why well, I wanted it done by January 31st. Um, right. And so uh, and the why behind it, it's, it's not just about a compliance you know, piece. But the reasons why students have accommodations is so they can be more successful in the general education setting. And so, but I want the teachers to have a conversation with the EC teacher to make sure that they're comfortable and they're confident and they know how to uh, provide these accommodations so we can all feel more successful at work. All right, so when I was trying to write out my what, why, and, and, and what are the results you know, that I wanna see, the results I wanna see is I wanna see students with, with disabilities performing at a higher level in their academic classrooms. I want to see less emails uh, from the parents saying, um, my kid's not receiving their accommodations. And I want the uh, general teachers to not ever use the excuse of, I've never seen the IEP uh, in a meeting with the parents. So anybody who's in the world, like that's, that's like just doomsday when they say that. Um, so, because these are three, you know, problems that are happening at the school that I'm at. And so I want to be able to eliminate those. So if I had, you know, 11, you know, parent complaints, uh, which I did in one week, you know, I'll know it's improving if I have, you know, less than 11, right? And that's what I want to tell them. So I want evidences of success that we're moving towards this goal within a 30-day period to have zero complaints and zero teachers say that they've not seen their IEPs, right? Might not have been as clear as I want it yet, but that was my first, you know, draft. Did anybody take a stab at writing out a um, a word uh, picture? Lindsay, how about you? You're one of our great EC collaborators. What did you write down as your word uh, picture? If you were trying to get to a result, like how would you start to think that through? Um, I had our, the EC team do something kind of like that on Friday. We had our um, winter data team and, you know, I 
towards the end of our PD, we sat down and we talked about for the IEP process, what is our vision for our team? What do we want to accomplish within the next year? And then the same for um, instructional practices, what do we want to accomplish? And then they all had to make a, um, an individual goal for one of those things for the third quarter. So just really thinking out like, where do we want to be? How are we going to get there? And just trying to make it really clear. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then the more, you know, the more that you try to write out your word, you know, picture, the better you're going to be able to communicate it out, you know, over and over. I've been trying to script as much as possible. And in fact, Vanessa, you know, was on that training, you know, with an expert, uh, Alex Quigley, and he wrote a script, right? Vanessa, he was having a crucial conversation. And he had a script for it. Like he, he takes the time, like, to actually go through the process of here's what I want success to look like. Here's the current reality of what I see. And here's some opportunities for you to be more successful, right? If, if you, you know, downloaded the, um, you know, study guide, the VRO, which is what, you know, Michael Hyatt, you know, talks about. And I moved around this. So, so what is it we want to see accomplished? What's our current reality? And um, how are we going to make that happen, right? Discussing and talking about the strategies of execution. Because if you were in our first book study, Win Every Day, he specifically said that, you know, all plans can be successful. The reasons why plans aren't successful, everybody, is what? Why won't a plan work? What's an example of why a plan might not work? Not writing out the steps to get there. Yeah, they just don't do it, right? It's, it's the execution of the plan. Right, so I know to get down to 186 pounds, I have like four more weeks left, right? I got four more pounds. Like I know I need to eat less than 2,000 calories. I need to do 30 minutes of exercise. I need to eat two vegetables and two fruits a day, and I need to not eat more than two, you know, drinks with calories every single day. And if I don't follow that, Lindsay, what's what's going to happen? More than likely, I'm probably gain weight. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get to my weight goal, and I can't blame the plan. It's not that the plan was bad, because I know the plan works, right? So I think that's really important for you all as you're communicating out. Like, it's not the plan's fault. Don't blame the plan. Blame the execution of the plan, and then blame the communication of the execution of the plan. Uh, is, is you know you know more than likely, right? So in this next you know the top of page eight. You know, I wrote a company that withholds information from employees is like a house built on a built on a floodplain, a disaster waiting to happen. And I took that and I wrote this note underneath. I said, the absence in absence of information, you know, people will make up their own story. They'll just assume the worst. That's immediately what happens, the absence of information. And so when I asked you, know, when have you seen this happen, right? Uh, you know, memos, like memos are like they're like kryptonite to like effective leaders or like, you know, like, like your most effective staff memos hurt. They hurt the heart. And I always say to leaders, like, don't write a memo when you've got only a handful of people who aren't following through because the only people that are going to read your memo are the people that don't have a problem with it. And then they're going to immediately think what's going to happen. Vanessa? they're going to read the memo and they're going to read it and think what? Well, well, yeah, they're going to be upset. It's going to take morale. Yeah, because they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. 
Am I not doing that? Oh, am I showing up late? Oh my gosh, am I showing too many movies? Am I doing right? I mean, the other people aren't even going to read the memo. They're not going to open the email. They're not going to do any of those things. If they know that you have a red receipt, they'll do that. And that's about it, right? They're not going to actually take the time to do it. But when you think about how we think the worst, when we, we just make up a story, we just immediately make up a story. So cascading communication is this really important um, you know, strategy that leaders make. It's on page 54. So how, when you read through it, have you ever been in an organization that would you would consider his description of cascading communication? I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you all thought about what cascading communication might look like. How would you describe it to somebody? I think that can be described as need to know. Hmm. You know, and then also um, precise, precision, and clarity. Because the, um, you know, the average layperson, like in the book, it's talking about the financial statements and how you don't want to send the incredibly detailed financial statements to the person at the very um, end of the line because they're, they're not going to understand it or maybe even be interested in it. But you do want to have that transparency for them with a, you know, kind of an overhead view. That's great. I love it. I think that's a good sort of the, the uh, foundation here. What else would be some key words if you were describing cascading? I heard, um, I heard clear, right? I heard uh, um, like kind of top of the waves, like what do they need, you know, for, what do they really need to know here with this, you know, situation, right? Another word that I used was timely, timely. I feel like to cascade communication, there has to be a time frame around when and who is going to communicate that? What do you think about that, Janice? Did you did you say Janice? I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I I think that the timeliness is and is crucial. Um, and like it says in the book, people don't even mean to, but sometimes they will leak information. And when that comes from a coworker instead of the person above you, then it seems like the organization is being secretive. And maybe even something that's a positive could be construed as the bad thing because you didn't hear it from the top. You had to hear it from someone else. And then it starts that cycle of gossip within the workplace and some of the negativity. And I think that sometimes in leadership, they, people will think that they are preventing gossip by withholding all of that information when really it's that lack of transparency that actually causes it. So they're kind of shooting themselves. Wow in the foot without even realizing it. I've seen that with, um, for example, here with board meetings. So in the absence of communication, our faculty and staff would like come up with what they thought was happening and, you know, could take something that could have been really positive and now it's negative and it's into the community. So now it's basically, it is, it's turned negative. Right. I love it. Yeah, because in the absence of information, we assume the worst. And I just heard I that Janet say. I do think there's positive intent behind it. I think they're trying to protect the morale without having just a clear under, understanding of how communication does truly work. You know, 
Yeah. Who else would like to share in that one? You guys are doing a great job taking this on here. So when I think of cascading, right, it's just it's coming down and it's beautiful and it's clear and it's and it's about to touch everybody at a certain time. And so when I think of this, uh, Patrick Lencioni has this same uh, process in his book, um, The Advantage and Debt by Meetings. Like he talks about like, OK, we had our leadership team meeting. What were the commitments? Great. And what is how are we going to communicate this? Right. Let's get the message right. Who needs to know, right? So it's this whole list here that I put on the page eight that's in the book, right? What do people know to do their jobs? Trust their leaders, feel committed, understand the reason, remain calm, feel valued, embrace change. Like, what are we going to tell them based upon what we just talked about in this meeting? Let's get the message right. And then, who needs to know and in what order? Because Janice just said, which is interesting because it's happened in two of our inner circle masterminds today. I don't want to hear information from someone below me that I should have heard from someone above me. Like, why am I hearing more information from the parents than I am from my own internal leadership team? Or, right, and that, that's, you're, it's frustrating. So who needs to know, right, and in what order? Whose job is it? Whose job is it to communicate this information to every division, every grade level, whatever it is, every part of the organization? Where does this go wrong? Like, where do you all see this sometimes going wrong? Like, how can we auto-correct these first three steps? What's a good strategy? I really think it starts with timeliness. Um, I think it's I think it's not waiting, and as soon as there is something to communicate, stopping, figuring out the the what, when, where, you know, what I'm trying to communicate who needs to know and and then go from there mm -hmm. and i also think like it has on page 58 the different groups um sometimes it's just easier to communicate it whole group but not everybody needs to know that whole message so that was really helpful for me Yeah, like the like the financial updates you're talking about, like how how like it trickles down. Yeah, yeah. Now, what is important though? I heard Janice say a couple times is the people who are at the um, the more you know closer to the action in your organization. So everybody's pretty much you know schools on here. So like like the teachers, like they don't need to know everything, but they may want to know. Well, how did this you know decision get made? Who was part of the conversation? So thinking ahead all the time, you know, like I hire, you know, school leaders a lot. And I'll never forget one of this, um, this, you know, leader, they did a great job and they said, look, I'm going to plot out all the time and effort that we spent because we had interviewed like 60 people and spent a tremendous amount of time on this because she knew her people. She knew the board. She knew the parent base. She knew the teaching staff. She goes, if we don't tell them, the steps that we took to get here, we're going to, they're not going to like our answer, right? And I thought it was really well done of someone who's kind of a middle level leader who was really paying attention to the people 
around her. And so I've always used that practice with any time I'm making any big decision is I'll start with, you know, go back to the what, the why, and the results, right? Like, how did we get here? And so it's important as leaders, as, as you know, the people you serve know your decision-making process. So anytime you have a meeting, with, make sure that people who are in the meeting, their names are called, you know? I included finance with Mike and I had, you know, EC with John and, and we sat and we talked and here's the information that we brought because that puts a lot of really good context around that. And then an important part of this is to, is to listen, right? Uh, there's a couple of leaders that I've just heard recently that are struggling with, they're sending out information and nobody's responding. What do you all think about this, right? And there's, they never get a reply. How come that happens, do you think? What do you think causes that? You ever sent an email that you wanted feedback and nobody responded? Lindsay's uh, shaking her head. Good, anybody's up, take it. I think you have to be really specific and it's, it's very similar to, you know, social media strategy when you're trying to engage your audience, which is also what you're doing when you send an email to a large group of people, trying to engage them and keep them reading, is not to ask an open-ended question. Um, you know, you want specifics, like what do you think about this time frame, Or what do you think about everyone wearing red shirts rather than what do you think of this? Um, because then they, they know specifically what answer to give. And I think they're more likely to respond. That's good. And again, knowing your people, right? How many emails are they getting? And, 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 and do we want to reply all? Or how do I respond to you? Or do I come to a meeting? Or like, again, be very specific on what you want, right? Uh, what you uh, need back. If you're only, yeah, go ahead, Lindsay. I think it was Lindsay. Uh, was it me? Okay, whoever. So, uh, this morning in the inner circle where Joan talked about the, uh, um, if they are CC'd on an email, I don't think I've ever, I'm, I know, I've never communicated that. Like if I'm CC'd, then this is just for my information. I will not be replying. I will work with the teacher mm. to get that, particularly with parents. And I thought that was such a powerful communication point because otherwise parents might be like, well, why isn't she responding to me? If you communicate that upfront, then they will know. Yeah, great point. Oh, I've been part, you're right. I've been part of lots of emails where everybody's in the two. And I'm like, well, who's it actually to? Like, are you just like, it's kind of like you just shoot like into like a giant, right? Or like you have like a hundred lines out, you know, trying to catch a fish. You're just, you're just, you're just uh, you're casting a net and hoping and praying that somebody will respond to you. Now, if you have someone with a personality style who's who's quick to you know uh, respond but shouldn't respond, that can cause big issues, right? So this actually just happened to me recently, where somebody did that in our organization, and I think they copied like eleven people to it, and it was a sensitive subject, and so I pulled everybody else out, except the only people who needed to be in the email, and I replied. But you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to tell everybody else that I addressed it. So that email sat for two days and all of a sudden, you know, the people started to get antsy and then they started to respond and just, 
build more, you know, junk on top of the email. <laughs> I was like, oh no, now, now this person's really confused because now they've gotten four different responses. Which one do I follow, right? So email protocol is really, really important. Really important. Just like, you know, Georgia and uh, uh, Janice, they have their secret language, right? They have their secret invisible ink language. And that's important. That's important that they know, right? But if there's someone copied to the email, I'm like, what do I read? Where is it? What do you want me to do here? Awesome. All right, and then the last piece, yeah, was the uh, clarity. And I just, and I think it's important that once you send a really important message out to some uh, capacity, within 24 to 48 hours as the communicator, you need to check in with the people that you've communicated to was there any follow-up questions? You've had some time to process, like how's your team, you know, doing with this? Did you have any feedback? You know, you've got to go back and clarify. And you can do that first by watching the people whether they're doing what you asked them to do. And two is 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 that you know you're starting to get a feel. This is where you have to be able to ask questions and listen. So I love creating buy-in. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else liked this, you know, section of the book, right? But so showing the benefit to them, and we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but um, when I was hired, I was in New Hanover County Schools for uh, seven years as an EC teacher, and I tried so many times to get out of the classroom and into the central office, and I was never hired, right? And so um, I didn't know what a charter school was. I didn't have a clue what it was. And so uh, someone told me about it, and I went and applied, and I you know, you know, the guy, Mark Kramer, he asked me, well, what's your, what do you want to do? He's like, what, you know, what's your long-term goal? And I said, I said, I want to be an EC director, which is so funny because now I am an EC director and I'm thinking, Lindsay, I don't know if this is, this is what I want to do. Right. But so I was like, I want to be an EC director. He goes, oh, wow. I love that. He said, you know, our goal, there's a hundred counties in North Carolina and our goal is to put a school in every single county. He said, you you could be the EC director for all those hundred schools. What do you think about that? And I said, where do I sign up? I admit, right? He immediately got me to buy into whatever he was going to sell me next. I did not care because he talked about, you know, the benefit of me working there, like in my language, not in his language. It wasn't that I had an opening and I need to fill it. It was, it was immediately about how do I get this big picture person? Cause he could tell that from our interview like to really, really buy into what we were trying to do. So I was wondering, did anybody take a stab at either like what's the time that somebody showed the benefit to you in a kid, you know, it got you to buy in or do you have a statement? Did you write out a statement that paints someone on your team in the big picture of your school on page? It's a nine of your study guide. If you're following along. Has anybody ever done that for you? And welcome, I see Amanda came in a little bit. Let's see who else we got here. Anybody wanna take a stab at how you paint, the, paint someone in the picture? Someone be brave. There you go, Dr. Benton's gonna do it. Come on, Dr. Benton, give us a paint the picture story. Well, I guess uh, where I've been is I've had to paint the picture. If that's, so 
and I guess uh, you, you know my friend uh, Todd, and uh, I was on mm -hmm. the uh, hiring team for him, and uh, he was open to what we were going to try to do, and we talked at length about how we could help children, and his background had been uh, exceptionally ed too, and so when we, and uh, his interest was in what we were going to do with children, and also how we were going to grow the classrooms, and so. I think it was that idea of having some independence to uh, to grow the school, to make it a good school, and uh, have children growing and learning were uh, goals of his, and uh, we just kind of came together on that because this was both something what we wanted to do. Uh, so that was uh, a real good buy-in because Todd and I have been friends now since about six or seven years, and so uh, that was kind of the buy-in uh, for that. Uh, so I, I guess my biggest buy-in was just the idea of back, back when just getting a, a job, uh, believe, me, believe it or not, there was a time when there was, a, was not a shortage of teachers. So getting a teacher's job was, was not an easy thing. And so uh, the idea that uh, I remember they called me from Fort Bragg and that was the highest paying school system in the state at the time. I won't tell you what it was because it was, it was really pitiful now, but anyway. <laughs> but you know, there was the idea that here, here's a big a good school system, uh, is part of the DOD and uh, Department of Defense. And so uh, when I interviewed with that, that was, uh, I felt like I was going somewhere where I could do something. So, and within three years of that job, I was a principal in the Cumberland County Schools. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, You've got to listen to people. You have to know people to be able to create buy-in. And remember everybody, I guarantee whoever you wrote down for the top of page nine, whoever that great leader was, I guarantee they were an amazing person of character. Because here's the thing, people need to buy into the leader before they're gonna buy into the vision, right? We've all been sold a bag of goods by people where we're like, eh, I don't think so. Show me how that really works, right? So if you're thinking about like, how do I create buy-in? The first thing you have to do is make sure that you have influence, that you have a relationship with this individual to help them see themselves in the picture. You know, we run a, a teacher leader academy We've had you know, over 140 uh, teachers that go through it over the last um, uh, five cohorts. And it's interesting to me, the majority of them, when they come to the Teacher Leader Academy, don't know why. They don't know why that their principal uh, selected them. I mean, they don't, you know, I've only had one or two buy into the program on their own. So the other 140, their principal appoints them. And they don't always know why. And it's your job as a leader, right, to validate everybody on your team every time that they're in front of you. You have to tell them, you know, what, how their skill sets make the organization what it is, you know, where you see them in the future or, or what you love about what they do. Because if you don't, they're not going to tell themselves that they're great either because we very rarely think of ourselves as successful. So remember that, right? As you're creating buy-in and you're showing benefit to them, it has to be authentic and it has to be in a way where you're showing that you've listened to them. 
that you'd listen to him. Thanks, Dr. Benton, for, for sharing that story. I love it. If you don't know Dr. Benton, he's a, he's, a, he's a great guy. He runs a great team out there as well. So thank you so much. Opened a couple schools himself. So that's a good challenge for this week, right, is to start identifying people in your organization where I need to start painting you in the picture. And I do that with my son all the time. You know, he's eight, and I was like, hey, you know, you and I, we could, you know, because I need him to do something, but I got to paint him in the picture of what it's going to look like, you know, successful. Um, you know, I say, because he loves when we sit down and we play video games. I was like, hey, in about an hour, I can't wait to be sitting down playing, you know, playing a game, whatever game you love, here's the three things we got to do first. <laughs> you know, to be able to get there. But I got to paint them in the picture of what success looks like. So what do you think about this quote here as we start to wrap down? Um, Every day, someone in your organization is fighting some version of a battle. Every day, someone in your organization is fighting some version of a battle. In In one of the sessions that today I had shared, like, Every day there's a battle between the culture and the plan, right? So that's not only true for organizations, it's true for individuals. So if you start leaning on people that they're not doing their job, they're already feeling the weight, right? And I think, what did Joan say today, Vanessa, that you know people like to vomit, but they don't like to be vomited on? Is that what it is? Or people feel better after they vomit, but they don't like to be vomited on. I really miss that. So the, oh, yeah. You, oh, yeah. I, I love when she says that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're already feeling bad, right? But the one thing that you can do if you do have to bring this critical and crucial conversation is to, is to quantify the problem with specific you know, data, tangible evidences, right? So I know the EC teachers at our school have met with all the general ed teachers. I know that all of the general ed teachers participated in a training, but I had 11 emails in a week from separate parents that they didn't feel that their students' accommodations are being met, right? That's, that's just a fact, that's what it is, but facts can change, right? So that's what the problem was. The problem, you know, you know these are the complaint emails we're getting. These are the, these are the parents that they're from. These are the grade levels that they're in, right? And we can analyze that problem. And then describe the desired result, right? We want, we want to make sure that our online students are receiving their accommodations. To do that, we need to make sure that our teachers know and understand their accommodations. And as EC teachers, we need to maybe actually maybe do some, you know, some of those accommodations. We need to get ahead. There's all these things that we had to do to, to uh, be able to get there. What's the desired role, right? More success in the class. Not just less, you know, parent complaints, because that would be beautiful, right, if we just had less. But we're always going to have those things. But what's most important is that are we doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because we got 11 parent complaints. And that's where arrogance and uh, complacency can sometimes kill an organization's culture, you know, because I'll only do it because I don't want this parent to email me anymore, you know, compared to I know it's a part of my job and, and I have to be carrying that out. So quantify the problem, describe the uh, desired result, okay? Did anybody have an example of something that they're working through right now with that? A quantifiable problem and, and uh, uh, describe a, a desired result? It could be personal or professional. 
nobody has any problems in your organization or on their teams? I find it hard to believe. Um, Could be I'll anything. Go I'll go ahead. Um, I actually was meeting with my mentee, so um, I do apologize for being late. Um, okay. So with talking with her about some problems as well, bringing up a parent is how to be effective, but understand where they're coming from. And so it's just going through a lot of examples on, am I investing too much information or giving too much this one parent? Does she think that I'm always accessible to her at any time? Mm. And so it was this, that balance of, okay, I have met your needs. Now it's turning into, you think I'm just like your assistant at that standpoint. So it was just going through a lot of different scenarios and kind of putting that, not necessarily just the title on it, but just kind of putting those boundaries. And it is very hard in the realm of teaching of finding those boundaries of whether you're giving too much or not enough, or is it the right enough um, for everybody? And it goes with personality turns too. Okay, I love it. Well, thanks, Amanda. Mm -hmm. So what was your, so what's your action step? What are you going to do with that, with that issue? Um, so we kind of gave a bunch of different next steps of where we have to go with uh, the teacher to the parent relationship. And so it was just more of like a running record of how often are you talking to this parent and what other avenues are you going through? Is it just email? Is it just phone calls? Is it just through like we use Dojo? Um, and so as she went through all of those realms and kind of counted up all the times that she does talk, then it was, okay, what are you always talking about? And it always came to be this one standpoint. And so then it was the next step of now you need to make a contract with this student and teacher outside of that contract, let the mom sign it. And then now everybody knows where to go from there. Yeah. Because the next you know, step is to anticipate the questions and objectives, right? Oh, my kids had, you know, contracts before it's never worked or, you know, you know I mean, whatever it is, like they're immediately going to come with something, right? So, you know, the teachers I serve are going to say, well, we've already done all those trainings. Well, we've already met with them. I know. I'm aware of that. But the dad is saying that something didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. There's a system broken. We just got to fix the system. It's okay. Nobody's here to get you, right? And that's what you're trying to get to. What's the root cause of the problem? And then you restate the problem. The problem is 11 parents, for some reason, don't think that their kids are getting it. We have to clarify that, right? Communicate the uh, desired result and provide those opportunities for growth. Now, what makes these conversations so hard, everybody? Thanks, Amanda. You're great. What do you think makes these conversations hard? What's the hard part about them? Perception. Okay, about what? Um, I guess like if you're, depending on how you are as a communicator, are you, a, are you blunt? Are you coming across as being too direct? Um, are okay. you coming across as empathetic of understanding it or that kind of standpoint? Or if someone's wanting to talk, do they say the wrong thing and being judged? And so you don't want to be judged of doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Sounds like ego, doesn't it, right? Sometimes our ego really, really gets in our way of this. Like we said, you know, we feel guilty that maybe they're right, but I don't want to admit that they're right. I don't want to tell the parent that I messed up. 
That'll make me look bad. You know, so perception, guilt, ego, what else makes it hard? Um, I think because it's uncomfortable, some of these conversations. And mm. nobody wants to feel uncomfortable because it feels uncomfortable. But what, what makes it uncomfortable? Well, in Amanda's situation, you're talking about having to reach out to a parent and say, listen, you're overstepping. And sometimes for people setting up boundaries can be uncomfortable. And then it comes back to perception. You know, you, you're worried about how you'll be perceived from this parent. Um, and that, that causes, you know, for some people anxiety. Um, but it causes a little bit of stress. And we're designed biologically to avoid stress, period. Yeah, and she doesn't even really need to say that, you know, you're overstepping. You need to say, here's my communication protocols. Here's the plan, right? This is what we're going to do. I mean, it's interesting when, like, when you get an anger email, I printed out one the other day. It was five pages long on a regular eight and a half, what's that, like, just, you know, like a regular associate, five uh, pages. I couldn't believe it. And so I had to root through them and find out what's the three things, what's, you know, like, what is she saying? Like, what is she really trying to tell me here? And so when we started the IEP meeting, I said, I want to, I read your email and I want to make sure that I got exactly what you were trying to tell me. Did, are these three right? And then I said, is there anything else? Nope. Okay. Well, let's make sure we address these three things in this meeting. So by asking, you know, people like, what will you commit to, right? Is there anything else? Because then I need time. Then I'll say, okay, well, you know, listen, Mrs. Miller, I think this is going to take about 10 days, but here's what I'm going to do. Every two days, I'm going to put a note in his bag, right? Or I'll send you, you know, like an email. And that's it. You know, you don't have to have the 7,000 emails, but it's such a challenge. Like we get into like, e you know, email wars and we got to respond to everybody. But when we're responding to everybody, that means we're living on their agenda and not ours. It's tough. Super tough. So I put um, in the study guide in the drive, there's the frame your feedback handout, which had that VRO, which is a, you know, just another easy, easy way to frame, to frame your feedback to, you know, someone like to show them, here's what the vision I wanted. Here was my desired results. Here's the current reality. And here's your opportunities for success. And you never have to get down the weeds of stuff, right? You just get to a commitment, you, you know, uh, you know, based upon what uh, we have. And then the last part of this uh, section was to build a communication system, right? So, you know, the problem is not simply that one person failed to do their job. The problem is confusion about decisions, tasks, or responsibilities. It's not a competence problem. It's a communication problem. Like, if we just had that attitude towards everything, like, this is not a competence problem. You have to separate the person from the behavior. And it's so hard because we get attached, right? It's all, like, emotional. Like, come on, Janice. Like, that Janice. And it's just all about getting, you know, like, where was the communication drop? What role did I have? So I love this framework that he builds here, right? So the no-fail communication solution, build that system. One, a designated communicator. Who will communicate this info, right? And by when? <laughs> Who's in charge of it? And the one conversation rule, like, oh my gosh, like, 
meetings are just a disaster at times because you got three or four conversations, like just building norms into your meetings. Like there will be no side conversations during this. You know, we will not have side chats in the chat box in the Zoom about how much we don't like Tom's, Tom's time, right? You know, it's just like the one conversation will, will create so much clarity so everybody has a chance to hear and listen. Written notes. How many of you all have written notes for your leadership meetings now? Do you guys already do these? Somebody doesn't. How do they take them, Amanda? What like? How does it go? Um, so for like, if you're doing written notes, we already have our norms at the top. And so if we want to start off, sometimes you'll start off with um, an excitement thing that happened that someone wanted to share, or you start off with I'm having a bad day, and then you kind of address that at the end. And then you have a list of standards that you want to go through your um, PLC or grade level notes of topics that have to be discussed during that time. And then any extra time is like free time. Yep. Yeah. And so are they shared, you know, back out? Is it on a Google Drive where everybody always has access? Yeah. Google yeah. Drive for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love this because he, you know, really breaks it down. It should be, I guess, you know, the four elements of the communication system, unless I got, unless I missed one. Uh, but the date, right, the context of the meeting, what decisions were made, and what actions came out of it, right? And I almost think the last piece I would add is who is communicating what, right? Or who's responsible for what? And I think when I think of actions, like when I look at commitments, and this is what Patrick Lencioni talks about in his um, uh, death by meeting, he's like, look, take those notes and Put them up on the board, right? You could put like a projector and project them all up on the board. Here's the actions or here's the commitments that we all agreed to. Does anybody have any issues or any concerns, right? You go back through them like, you know, Tom, you're going to do, uh, you know, Tom, you're going to communicate to the tech person that we need 27 more, you know, Chromebooks. John, you're going to do this, right? Did anybody hear anything different? Does anybody, like you got to, you got to get to a point where they can commit and when would it will be done by? That's the actions that need to be at the bottom of that meeting minutes, right? That written notes. And then as the leader, <laughs> you know, you email that back out, everybody's got it. And then, and then you're gonna do your current reality check and you're gonna say, hey, you know, Tyler, did you order those Chromebooks yet? Yeah. No, well when, well, when can you get it done by? Do me a favor, when it's done, can you just CC me or just shoot, shoot me a text so that I can mark it off here, right? or add it to the Google Doc when it was done, whatever it is. But you're, you're cascading communication, right? And you're, 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 you're closing the gap, right? You're closing the communication gap in that time frame. I know that's not exactly how Hyatt has it, but that's kind of how I've, you know, I, I love Patrick Lencioni. So like I take these two together and I'm like, yep, who's gonna communicate it? We're all committed to, to this one conversation rule and norms. You know, we'll uh, take notes. We're going to have a template of how this is going to be communicated back out and distribution standards. Everybody in the organization gets a, you know, gets a copy of it. This is what we need everybody to see and hear. So then they know they're all on the same page and they all know where to get them and they all know what is happening. Like if every team followed those five, I cannot, it would be almost impossible within six months to have communication problems. You guys would be in such a great, a great flow. Would you disagree? What do you think, Georgia? Would that work? Sorry, Georgia, I caught her off guard. She just popped on my screen, so it's easy to 
easy to call her. I think one of the things that you've said was about the, I call it centralization uh, of your communication system. And uh, when we had, we had a, when we had a brick and mortar business, we had someone who took care of all incoming emails. You had to, you had to send all, all incoming emails came through one computer. And that person, that person distributed them out to who it was uh, sent to. So everybody in the school, uh, in the business didn't get the same emails. They got the ones that were, who, if you were in finance, you got it if the email had to do with finance. Uh, so that, that's, that yep. is really good. And uh, I think the end notes, uh, two things there, the agenda and end notes, just make it run so much smoother too. Yeah, that's right. I love that, Dr. Benton. Really great add-on there. And you can start, you know, the next meeting with, hey, let's go back. Let's let's celebrate all, all the commitments. Oh, Tyler, you never ordered those Chromebooks. Okay. Uh, can you do it right now? Can you do it in an hour, Tyler? Like, right? I mean, right there, because everything's there. Like, or even 24 hours prior to the meeting, you just say, hey, make sure you knocked out your commitments. And I'm checking in in that week as the leader. Like that's how I just turned around that school. Like we had a we had a meeting on Monday, and then we had a check in on Monday and a check out on Friday. Right, that was it. And in between, I was leading by walking around. I was checking in with every person on what I knew that they had to get done that week. And I asked three questions: How are you? What are you working on? And how can I help? Just those three. Every every single time, right? And if they didn't have it done, like I was like, okay. It's not a competency problem. It's a communication problem. And, it, you know, I can help you with that skill. So I love it. All right. Well, perfect. So uh, what, what, what are you going to apply and what are you going to change and what are you going to teach? So drop it in the, in the chat box. What are you going to do based upon this, this hour of time in these three or four chapters that you read or share it out loud? Who's, who's got some action steps? What are you going to do, Dr. Benton, with your team? Let me say just uh, this part here, just the uh, communication, uh, studying communication makes you more aware. I think you said it as you opened up today that you were just finding yourself or you were scared or maybe nervous or whatever it was you said, that, uh, that feeling of, uh, of anxiousness or whatever. And as you know, I, I preach every Sunday. And so I've really gotten aware it's not just the words I say, but the idea of how I'm going to say them uh, and to make sure that the clarity is there. Uh, the, the book says what it says, but bringing it across clear, clearly is something that I've really worked on Sunday and had a great message. So I think the awareness of what we're doing has really been a big help. I love it, thank you. I love it, yeah. I mean, it always makes sense up here, doesn't it, Dr. Benton? It's like, oh, this is clear as bell up here, and everybody's in a, like, what the heck did Tom just say? Oh, what, what's he talking about now? All right, Amanda's going to apply boundaries. I will change expectations to team, and I will teach content goals. I love it. Good job. How about you, Janice? You got, a, you got an action step for us? Stephanie's going to be more self-aware, more prepared, so what she communicates is clear. Assuming positive intent from Lindsay and believing it's not a complex problem. Oh man, if you could master that, Lindsay, who tell us how that's like. I want to feel that. That's what I want to feel. Every time something goes wrong, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, okay, it's not competency, right? It was a communication issue. Because it's just so easy to jump into what are they doing? 
like, oh, I said it to someone today. I was like, I said, well, when are we going to, I mean, you've been in this position for six months now. Like, when are you going to learn how to do that? I was like, oh, that's probably didn't come up the right way. <laughs> that's not going to, that's not going to help me next week at the meeting. So awesome. All right. Well, great job, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there. Appreciate you all. Uh, and, and then we'll be uh, next week with the next, um, the next couple of chapters there as we talk about part three of no fail communication. So enjoy yourselves. Thanks everybody. Thank be you. pay close attention to your communication. Bye-bye.